Tapping the Keg Daily is live for Wednesday, November 22nd. We're talking about Marquette's big win over Kansas. We're also going to talk about the Green Bay Packers injuries and can they survive against the Detroit Lions. And then lastly, we'll talk about the Milwaukee Bucks taking on the Boston Celtics. Five questions, five things we have before the game tonight. Arguably one of the best nights in Wisconsin sports, basketball, sort of I, I don't know if I want to go as far as say history, but look at how it's all sort of lined up. If you're going out for Blackout Wednesday, which by the way, be safe. Don't get too drunk. Don't be hungover at your Thanksgiving or try to manage your hangover on Thanksgiving if you need to. Here's what's on deck. You have the Marquette playing at four o'clock. You have the Bucks playing at 6.30. If you're a Badger fan, you have the Badgers at 7.30 against SMU that you could throw on a alternate TV if you're at a bar. Like, this is an ideal basketball bar night. You can just watch hoops, enjoy both Marquette and Wisconsin. Now, or I'm sorry, Marquette and Wisconsin and the Bucks. If I had a sponsor, that would be a perfect time for it, but I don't. Uh, so I, I would just recommend it is a bar night. Um, but if you decide to stay in, it's still a great night to stay in. Um, definitely a great excuse to get off of work early. Uh, it's You shouldn't really be working that late anyways on the day before Thanksgiving. Before we get going though, just a reminder, social media, tapping the keg on Twitter slash X. Uh, thanks for all those who engage with my Marquette content. It's really fun to be with that community. Uh, if you guys are here and you're new to the program, welcome. Uh, we're doing this four times a week. Usually we're five times this week just because there's so much going on. There's so much to talk about really every day. Uh, but if we're if Packers aren't your thing or any Wisconsin sports besides Marquette, we do timestamp it in the description so you can make sure that you're just listening to the Marquette content and that is good enough for us. Uh, we're also on TikTok as well as Instagram, Tapping the Keg Sports on both of those as well as Facebook uh, for that matter. And then if you do like what you hear, uh, we're on Apple, we're on Spotify, we're wherever we'll get your podcast to my people who've been listening, whether it be recently, whether it be the last year, the last two years, make sure that you're telling your friends. Uh, this is a perfect time to let everybody know if you're out tonight, if you're at Thanksgiving, uh, you Black Friday shop with somebody, I don't know. Uh, make sure that you are telling the people about the Tavern the Keg Sports Podcast. It is unlike, I think, anything you'll hear in the state of Wisconsin. All right. Let's talk about Marquette beating Kansas and really uh, waking everybody up to how good the Golden Eagles are. The Marquette Golden Eagles dominated Kansas. They won 73 to 59. Marquette won nearly wire to wire. Uh, I was mad I didn't have the wire to wire in my review last night, but it actually was not wire to wire because Kansas got a, the first bucket of the game and that was their only lead the entire game. It's, it's almost better that way. It's almost more demoralizing for Kansas to see, oh, we had one lead in this game. When was it? Two nothing. And Marquette absolutely took Kansas to the woodshed. They were dialed in uh, as talking to some buddies throughout the game, saying this kind of reminded them of the Connecticut game uh, in the Big East tournament. And I, I couldn't agree more. It felt like that where Marquette was so focused, so determined on what was in front of them. And they dominated that Jayhawks team. And I know I've already said that twice, but it, it needs to be said because they played that well. That was, to me, was the best win of the 
college basketball season so far. Obviously, we have a long way to go. There's going to be other impressive college basketball victories. But you compare what Marquette did in this game versus Purdue, who were basically free throw merchants. It's not their fault. It was just how the game was called, and it was ridiculous. Uh, but Purdue won that game because they hit more free throws than Tennessee. I mean, let's just call it what it is. And Zach Eady was really dominant, but was able to get everybody into foul trouble. And if Zach Eady's going to get that many fouls, Purdue's going to win a ton of fucking games. So you compare the two, and Marquette has had a much more impressive path. I think you, it shines a light on UCLA and what UCLA you know, did the day before. I do think Marquette was looking a little bit ahead to this game. I think they had this circled. They knew they had a good game plan for Kansas and they showed it off. And they were just tough on both sides of the ball. You know, offensively, they were not scared. They did not feel any sort of intimidation from you know Kevin McCuller, Hunter Dickinson, Dewan Harris, who are all good defenders, didn't really matter. Marquette took them to the woodshed and then they showed it off defensively. And Marquette's defense was a somewhat soft spot. I, I know nationally people have made it seem like Marquette was terrible defensively last year. They weren't. They had, they had moments where they were bad, but they were not terrible. They were just kind of average to a little bit above average. But I feel like to win an NCAA tournament or get to a Final Four, you kind of need to have both be great. Um, and Marquette was not great. And they would have times where they'd have lapses and allow for a team like Michigan State to beat them. But anyways, you know, Marquette's defense was as good as I can remember it. Uh, we'll, we'll do the grades here in a second. But team defense is definitely an A for Marquette. You know, Kansas was held under 60 points. They turned the ball over 18 times. Even when they got to the free throw line, they missed seven of them. Now I know you're like, well, that's not, how's that determined by Marquette? But I almost wonder if they just could not breathe in the suffocation of that defense when they got to the free throw line, they were thinking more about, oh, I get to like take a couple deep breaths versus make my free throw. I, Marquette's defense was so impressive in this game, really from the jump. So even if Marquette were to not beat Purdue and finish it off and Purdue were to win the Maui, this is still a very successful week for the Golden Eagles. They are two and one. They will likely be either staying at four, maybe even three at the end of it. If they win, they're going to be number one, which is crazy to think about. Uh, not in my wildest dreams could I have thought that Marquette would be a number one rated team in all of college basketball. But that is what the Golden Eagles are looking at if they beat Purdue. If they beat Purdue, they will beat the number one and number two team in consecutive days, which is absolutely unheard of. Uh, the last team to have an opportunity to do that was Loyola Chicago, who faced off against UCLA and Marquette, uh, funny enough, uh, I think in the 70s. I forget the year. John Fanta had that yesterday. Uh, but Marquette can beat both of them. And if they beat both of them, it is an immediate resume. The resume for Marquette will be unlike anyone else's. And they still have Texas and Notre Dame. I know Notre Dame is not that good this year, but like they still have other Power Five, and Wisconsin for that matter. Like They still have three more Power Five opponents. And this resume is already one of the best in basketball, even if they lose to Purdue. And so I just, it's there's an amount of pride I think you have with this Marquette team, and we're going to talk about Shaka Smart here in a second. But I mean, what more can be said? He he, to me, is one of the top five coaches in college basketball at this point. 
Like, I know that Izzo and others have, you know, the background, but who's doing it better than Shaka Smart right now? I, I just see that he's really elevated and found a home. And this is the exact type of thing that Shaka Smart always wanted and what he wanted at Texas. And I feel like Texas fans at some point would have to have deep, dark conversations about what Shaka Smart's doing. And maybe it would have never worked at Texas, but he has just found a home here at Marquette. And I'm so fucking glad that he did. But yeah, I don't think a lot of guys are doing it better than Shaka Smart when it comes to coaching. And I, I think he's at that level. I, I mean, if we really look through it, right? Uh, Matt Painter, I, I, you can't get past, you know, the NCAA tournament stuff, in my opinion. Calvin Sampson, I would say in that top five, because he's just, he's consistent year in, year out. Danny Hurley, I, I'd put Danny Hurley in there, even though he's a prick. Like he got to a championship, he's rebuilt UConn. He deserves that. Tommy Lloyd, I'm not right there yet. Uh, because he's not done the tournament and Arizona just, I don't know. I, what's Arizona's identity? Uh, Alabama Nate Oates, I'd probably, he's kind of made himself the stalwart of the SEC. They've taken that from Alabama. Uh, you could Rick Barnes, maybe that, he he deserves that argument. But yeah, I, I just look at what Shaka Smart has done. And I, with talking about Shaka Smart, it is time to dive into the grades. We've done this now. For all big Marquette games, where we go from A to F, talking about the different parts, the intricate parts of what Marquette did against the opponent, this time being Kansas. Shock Smart does get an A as we're talking about him. Uh, I mean, the fact that he got into a player's face, he got into Bill Self's face, he was ready to go, he was not afraid of the fight, and basically stood his ground was absolutely incredible. Kansas fans were so mad. I was reading some Kansas Kansas fans on on X and they were not happy uh, with Shaka Smart. Shaka Smart absolutely owns Bill Self too. Uh, he's had some really good success against Bill Self. I forgot about the VCU stuff uh, when we talked about Shaka Smart versus Bill, Bill Self, but they clearly are not friends. Like they will not be sitting next to each other at the coaches convention. Uh, Shaka was asked about it yesterday after the game to ESPN Milwaukee and he had this to say, which I, I absolutely love. We're Marquette, we are Marquette, uh, and we don't take a backseat to anybody. If someone wants to step up and challenge us, okay, we're going to challenge them right back. That's, I mean, that's all you need, right? And as pointed out, this it's Al McGuire. It's what Al McGuire would say. And Al McGuire is certainly smiling from heaven, watching what Shaka Smart is doing with this Marquette team. Here is a quote from Al McGuire, you know, one of the many, Al McGuire-isms. A team should be an extension of a coach's personality. My teams are arrogant and obnoxious. And, and not to say Marquette's arrogant and obnoxious, but Marquette's fiery as fuck. Marquette absolutely gives a shit every time down. And they do play like an extension of the coach. And they love Shaka Smart. They have so much admiration for Shaka. And Shaka has so much admiration for them. And as, you know, like different examples throughout the broadcast, right? St Shaka wanted to talk about Stevie Mitchell's grades. Um, there was, what was, the, you know, the fact that there wasn't the transfer portal. I'm thinking of something else that 
eludes me where it's just, oh, uh, Dan Schulman saying Marquette's, you know, it seems like they're having the most fun out of anybody in college basketball right now. And you think about the transfer portal, you think about just all sorts of five stars coming together and it shows you how important relationships are and how important team chemistry can be. Everybody loves everybody on that team and it, it's beautiful to see. Oso Gidar gets an A as well. Uh, what a breakout performance by Oso Gidar these last two games. He goes up against Adem Bona as well as Hunter Dickinson and just dominates both of them. And 21 points, or was it 21? He, did he have that many uh, in the game against uh, Kansas? I think that was right. Yeah, 21. 21 points, nine rebounds, uh, four offensive rebounds. He also made three out of six from the free throw line and two blocks. The blocks were loud. Uh, the, the chase down block that he had was LeBron slash Giannis uh, from Osoe Gidara. And he just continues to excel. Uh, he just looks like he took his game another notch. He talked about after, you know, not going pro last year and said he had unfinished business and he wants to leave a mark. He's definitely doing that. And if you remember, I said it yesterday, but it bears repeating in the preview pod, I wondered if Oso Yudar could win Big East Player of the Year and just, and just thought maybe he had another level to his game and he'd be extremely hard to defend. And that's, that's ringing true. Uh, he is making a lot of money for himself this week and he's become you know it's not just tyler cola he's one b to tyler b to tyler colix a he's kind of one b and this is a really hard team to play when you have the inside out game of colic igidaro because if you attack igidaro inside okay then you free up colic and if you free up colic then he's gonna go off and if you try to take away colic then you have to deal with igidaro and there's other guys you gotta deal with too but it's really, there's not a lot of teams that can match up with Marquette that have the size and the speed that Kolek and Ayudara provide. Uh, we talked about Shaka and team defense as an A. I, I'd already said, you know, that this defense was incredible. Uh, I, I really hope that this is what we see all year. Obviously, sometimes you're not going to be as dialed in uh, like this for every game, but hopefully the team defense, you know, stays and this is a thing that Marquette has all year. Chase Ross is another guy that gets an A for me. Uh, he was great off the bench in this game. 12 points for Ross. Uh, he pulled down six rebounds. He made five, three, five free throws. Uh, had a great step back three that put Marquette up 15 in the second half. I felt like that was a pivotal moment. Marquette really wasn't scoring much and he hits the step back three to give the Golden Eagles a 15 point advantage and push that lead out. Whenever Kansas looked like they were trying to close that window, Marquette would hit a big shot and Ross was one of those beneficiaries and he's been great off the bench. Uh, and the Marquette bench has been a true revelation in these last two games, but Ross is is likely the re the leader. I know uh, Shaka calls him a dude. I, I look at Ross and it's Ross the boss, man. And he's playing really, really good basketball. For the Bs, uh, Sean Jones, another guy, as we continue to talk about the Marquette bench, Sean Jones is another revelation. Uh, he's been really talented. Shaka called him the fastest guy in college basketball. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far, but you do see what happens when you get Sean Jones into certain matchups, right? Uh, Fern, Fernfee, uh, Johnny Furphy, the freshman, got into it with 
Sean Jones and Sean Jones drove right past them. And Sean Jones is going to get those abilities. And his minutes continue to rise. 18 minutes in this game. He had an offensive rating of 126. Had nine points in this game as well as three assists. Uh, he he just is figuring out you know how to sort of change speeds and use his speed effectively. And even though he's undersized, it, it really doesn't matter. And we've seen undersized guards succeed in college basketball. That's not anything new, right? Khalid Alameen is the, always the, the North Star for me when it comes to undersized point guards. Uh, but Sean Jones is is doing well. And he's, again, become a vital part of what Marquette's doing you know, off their bench and gives them another look. And the fact that they're able to play with Jones and Kolek, Kolek can kind of work off the ball, I, I think is a, a really encouraging development. Uh, it takes to less time with Tyler Kolek kind of having to do everything. And I know Tyler Kolek would do everything. Like he has no problem being that guy, but you can also kind of load manage him a little bit, you know, not necessarily needing 37, 38 minutes from him and and making sure that he's not sort of initiating everything. And I know that kind of sounds weird because like best point guard in college basketball, but sometimes, you know, you want to give teams different looks and Sean Jones can give, you know, a different look. And so they don't, they can't focus all their attention on Tyler Kolek. So great stuff from Sean Jones. Definitely a guy, I think they do like an all Maui team and I would say Sean Jones is definitely on it. Stevie Mitchell uh, had a great bounce back. I, I want to talk about his defense first. He, he Offensively, he was nice too, but he was just so aggressive. Like Hunter, Hunter Dickinson set a bunch of hard screens. He didn't care. He went over the top on a great steal on Hunter Dickinson. Again, a moment where kind of looked like Kansas might be developing some momentum. Steve Mitchell pokes the ball away and Marquette gets a quick basket off of that. Stevie was great uh, and he's just a bulldog defensively and that's what you saw. And you needed kind of that guy leading the defense and, and Stevie played a huge part in that defensive effort and you know hit some shots today. He was a little bit better offensively, a little more in control. Uh, so great bounce back from Stevie Kolek or Stevie Mitchell. Tyler Kolek is the next one. So I give Tyler Kolek a B. I know Tyler Kolek's box score does not show it, but the presence of Tyler Kolek is making a difference. It is making teams, you know, focus on Tyler Kolek and not focus on the other individuals in Marquette. It will be very interesting to see how teams adjust. I think the first one that we'll get a real good look at is Wisconsin next next Saturday afternoon to see if the Badgers, you know, kind of adjust and take on all of Marquette versus just Tyler Kolek. Because it seems like the idea of, all right, we're going to focus our time and energy on stopping Tyler Kolek is not working. We're going to let everybody else go off. And Marquette's like, all right, fuck it. We're, we'll, we will. We will go off, right? So how will teams adjust to that? And I know it's probably frustrating for Tyler Kolek that he's not had a great Maui, given the fact there's a ton of NBA scouts there. But you can just tell his presence alone makes it very difficult for teams to deal with Marquette. And hopefully Tyler Gullick gets that moment. He had a great game against Purdue last year. And um, we're gonna kind of talk about that once we wrap this grading part of the podcast. But I I, I think there is still, you know, Kolek's, I'm not worried about Kolek at all. I, I think his presence is enough, even though if he's not scoring. 
Uh, C to Ben Gold. So the only reason I'm giving Ben Gold a C is not because he played bad. No, not. It's just that he didn't have a ton of moments. But he did have a huge moment in the second half hitting back-to-back three-pointers that were kind of the dagger. It was kind of the time where Marquette was finally pulling away and it looked real and they had kind of closed the door on Kansas. Again, that Marquette bench, man, they are they are truly eight deep. Uh, and you could argue there might be nine deep once Trey Norman comes along. And that's that's really hard to deal with uh, as, as an opponent. So Ben Gold, huge threes. He held it, held his own against Hunter Dickinson too. Uh, so I got to give him props there. It was mostly Oso's night, but those were two big shots from Benny. Uh, D to three-point shooting. Man, it's been rough. Those uh, Honolulu rims have not been fun. Uh, maybe Hawaii playing a home game right after uh, the Marquette game. Loosen them up for the game against Purdue. But 6-25 from three. Again, crazy that they won that game with shooting that much. I, I love the focus on getting to the basket, though. You know, that was an issue against UCLA. They changed that right away. They had 12 offensive rebounds, too. Wow. Given the fact that it's against Hunter Dickinson is really impressive. Dickinson only had eight rebounds in this game, which given Marquette's size, that's incredible. But yeah, the three-point shooting was not good uh, for Marquette and hopefully can be better against Purdue. Uh, F to ESPN's uh, Marquette commentary. So I know Dan Schulman said some nice things. Jay Billis definitely said some nice things. But uh, Dallin Cuff, who was the halftime person doing the, the halftime, what? analyst halftime you know running the halftime show said like if you're not familiar with Marquette like this team's really good it's like fuck off dude like just because Marquette's not on ESPN every day doesn't mean people don't know who Marquette is like where have you been I think John Fanta had that on Twitter yesterday like where have you been like if you're not familiar with Marquette you are living under a goddamn rock like I hated that so much. That's such such arrogance from ESPN about you know their product. Like ESPN has a decent product. I'm not gonna lie. ESPN's college. I miss Dan Schulman and Jay Billis. Like they are pros among pros. They're better than anything Fox has. Uh, so to have them call a Marquette game was a lot of fun. Well, Bill Bill Rafter, I would say. I mean, they used to do it all together. Schulman, uh, Billis, and Rafter, and that's the creme de la creme. But I, I do wonder, you know, and we'll see what the ratings look like, but I do wonder if ESPN, you know, misses the Big East and the fact that they do lose the Big Ten, I, it does seem like a interesting development. And I just wonder, would the, would they consider re-adding the Big East and coming back to the table? And there was such a deep relationship between ESPN and the Big East, would they go and do something different? I know that there is a TV deal coming up for the Big East. I can't remember if it's this year, next year. But yeah, ESPN's commentary stunk. I hated it. Uh, Bill Self, I also just, Bill Self was like, I'm not going to get into that. And just kind of acted like a dick after the game. Hold that out, Bill. Uh, and then Hunter Dickinson. Uh, all my Badger fan friends are like, fuck Hunter Dickinson. I hate Hunter Dickinson. Y'all right. Okay. Guy's a prick. Uh, I, there's nothing more we can say. Uh, he just sucks. Uh, he is the biggest villain in college basketball. I've never really seen Kansas as a villainous program. Uh, I've always I've been okay with Kansas, uh, but uh, kind of this year is maybe maybe of the exception. I really like Kevin McCuller though. I do let's say something nice about Kansas. Kevin McCuller is a great player. Like Kevin McCuller is the prototypical. He's going to get drafted in the second round, like thirty to thirty-eight. 
and he's going to be like a role player year one. And everyone's going to be like, oh my God, this Kevin McCullough guy. It's like, yeah, just watch a little bit of college basketball and you would see that. Uh, but Marquette takes out Purdue and Zach Eady, arguably the best player in college basketball. Uh, maybe a little chip on Tyler Kolick's shoulder after Eady won player of the year uh, from Kolick last season. Marquette and Purdue met uh, last year. Uh, it was the first time where people were like, hey, maybe this Marquette team is kind of good. They lost 75 to 70. They were white in that basketball game, though. Uh, they were in the fight completely. They had had a nine-point lead with nine minutes to go. I actually can't. For, I, it's a very memorable game for me because I had to pick my parents up from the airport that night, and it was like snowing. It was ugly out. And it, I had had the Marquette game on as they were blowing this lead. And I think they blew it as like I had picked up my parents because, yeah, they gave up 26 points in that final you know, part of the game, but that's the chip on your shoulder. It's right there. They can exact revenge. And this Marquette team looks completely different. Now, there are a lot of the same guys, right? It's same with Purdue, you know, Foster Lawyers there. And again, it was like, what was Foster Lawyers, like third or second game, as well as Braden Smith. So this is a little bit of a different, you know, looking Purdue team, including Zach Eady, but it's a different looking Marquette team. Uh, David Job or Chase Ross, Ben Gold and Sean Jones play combined 19 minutes in that game. So that's a lot different, right, than what you have now in this Marquette team. Kolick, as mentioned, he, had, he didn't have as good of a game as I thought he did. He had eight points, but he had 11 assists and six rebounds. So he was doing more of the, the little things in this one. I do wonder, you know, will Tyler Cole, how effective will Tyler Cole be as he's, you know, as we said, it's the focus has been on him and not the others. Will they guide their focus to also Aguilar? We had a very good game against uh, Edie last time around with 19 or 10 points uh, and five rebounds and five assists. Uh, 13 shots, so I guess maybe not the best game, but still like a, a solid enough game for Oso. We'll see if Marquette can get it done and win the Maui. It'll be sec second straight uh, or not second straight, but second Maui Invitational win for Shock Smart, who won in Asheville during the COVID year. So a lot of Marquette here today. I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Uh, very excited to see the future of this team and all season. And again, and I, I will, I'll say this to wrap, and then we'll talk about Packers and Bucks. If you're not on a bandwagon for college basketball and you need a bandwagon, and you want a team that gives a shit, that loves each other, that cares about each other, jump on the Marquette bandwagon. I realize if you're a Badger fan, I get it. I, I understand. But if you're not, if you're just agnostic, maybe you watch Badgers when they're on. Yeah, let's come to, come to the Marquette side. Uh, this is, it's a lot of fun, man. And I'm so excited to be in the building for the Texas and Notre Dame game, as well as a few others throughout the year. It's, it's a special season. And it's already special. Like, this has already been a special start to the season. Even if tonight doesn't go the way that we want, it's a special start to the season. And I hope this is only just the beginning. All right, let's move on to the Milwaukee Bucks. No, Green Bay Packers. God, struggling. Let's move on to the Green Bay Packers, who take on the Detroit Lions on Thursday. Uh, Packers are eight-point underdogs. The... Over-under, I believe, is at 47. Uh, currently, uh, the Packers and Lions get together on Thanksgiving for the first time in a while. The last time the Packers played on Thanksgiving, they got absolutely rocked by this Lions team. So they're looking to reverse their fate 
on Thanksgiving. And the Lions have owned this matchup, winning four straight, going for their fifth straight win against the Packers, which is virtually unheard of. And they've really taken it to the Packers in the past. The big headline from this game is who's going to be there for the Green Bay Packers. The Packers injury report looks like a CVS receipt. It's not good. Uh, It's a complete mess for Green Bay. And it's heartbreaking, honestly. And I know that might sound dramatic, but Packers play one of their best games of the year. They're building some momentum. And now everybody's fucking hurt. And we don't know who will be there for the Packers. And it will be next man up. Now, positive Chuck, last half full Chuck, spin zone Chuck, as Mitch likes to call it, would tell you that Matt LaFleur kind of relishes these opportunities. I, I always remember the Cardinals game where he everybody was wiped out because of COVID and they're facing the 7-0 Cardinals on a short week, Thursday night, and Matt LaFleur dives deep into his fucking bag and the Packers win that game. I think you're going to see more of the same. I think actually when the Packers are at a disadvantage, it's when Matt LaFleur gets the most creative. Matt LaFleur can't really coach scared because he already knows he's, you know, behind the eight ball. And so he needs to just go out there and absolutely ball out. And that's what the Packers might have to do. Uh, The injury, as we said, the injury report is really sort of concerning And you just do not know what players are going to be out there. I think Zach Krause had something where 13 guys on that injury report are starters. So it's not like it's, you know, depth depth players. It's guys that matter. And I really hope that guys who are sort of limited can go out there. I understand it's a short week. I fucking get it. But at the same time, this is, it's kind of for your livelihood. It's like, all right, do you want to be a playoff team or do you not? Like, yes, and you're going to get a long break. And I I realize that it might not be worth pushing all your chips in, but you are going to get a break. You then face Kansas City, who is important because it's a great barometer because the Chiefs are one of the best teams in the NFL. But it's not as important as this Lions game. This Lions game matters so much more than this Chiefs game. So it needs to be an all-in effort. So I hope, you know, some of these guys can play. But let's sort of dive into the injury report and see, you know, what the ramifications are of the Packers not having, you know, certain guys. Jair Alexander is the first one. We didn't get to talk about Jair Alexander on Monday, but I feel like Jair is kind of bitch made right now. I feel like Jair is playing when he wants. Uh, He seemed like he was going to be good to go. He practiced last week. The Packers didn't add anybody from their practice squad. It seemed like Jair was all set to come back and then he couldn't go at the very last minute. It seems like Jair is playing when he wants to. Uh, The contract is a complete disaster. Uh, Maybe not a complete disaster, but it's kind of trending that way. This has not been a good year for Jair Alexander. And if Jair is a leader of this football team, he plays on th- on Thursday. And I, and I understand, right? Shoulder back, I, I, like I get it. But this is a time where you kind of got to grab it by the dick and say, all right, I'm playing. And I'm going up against Amra St. Brown. I'm giving him the business. I also took the cheese on a TikTok. I didn't talk about this earlier. But I, I there was a quote that Amra was like, I can't name a guy on the Packers defense. And it was a completely made up quote. So I got got. Um, which is not good. Uh, not necessarily what you want, but it happens. Uh, so not, not exactly a great look for your boy. Uh, 
Corey Ballantyne, full practice, great. Devondre Campbell, that Stinger, uh, still a do not practice with a quote-unquote neck injury. Uh, I, I didn't think Stingers could be that bad. I've never really had a Stinger, so I imagine it's pretty painful for Campbell. Uh, as someone said on Twitter on Sunday, it's like destined that Quay Walker and Devondre Campbell can't play together. Isaiah McDuffie has been pretty solid in that role, but going up against Jameer Gibbs and David Montgomery with the Packers' run defense struggles is no easy task. Josiah Daguerre has been out the last two games, or is, is DMP with a hip. Uh, that's, I mean, I, I don't like Daguerre, but given the fact they don't have any tight ends, that's a little bit concerning. Uh, AJ Dillon limited. I think that's just keeping AJ Dillon fresh, not a problem. Uh, Rudy Ford it was limited the last two games. He's missed uh, the last two two practices, not two games. Sorry about that, guys. Uh, I need Rudy Ford back. Uh, I think Jonathan Owens has struggled. I'd like to see Anthony Johnson Jr. in that strong safety spot instead of, instead of Jonathan Owens. But if Ford can't go, then you're going to see Owens in that spot. I know, I think, yeah, I think LaFleur commented. Uh, you had Rashawn Gary, full practice, which is great. Elton Jenkins limited, not too worried about that. You're not going to have Aaron Jones. It'll be A.J. Dillon and Patrick Taylor. And that will be the show. I, I think they re-added James Robinson too. So maybe you get James Robinson as well. Uh, but the, the stable running backs for Packers is going to look a lot different than it has in the past. Uh, Luke Musgrave, lacerated kidney is a very scary injury. The fact that he played with it uh, down the stretch is just an absolute warrior move from Luke Musgrave. I don't know if it's a smart move, uh, but he did. And now it's Tucker Craft. And I guess the one encouraging thing is you're starting to see some things from Tucker Craft. So can this be a breakout spot for Tucker Craft to have a big performance in, in this game against the Detroit Lions. I, I think it's at least on the table for Kraft. Ben Simmons also showed some things. So I, I would not be surprised if Mar if uh, Packers still have some moments with their tight ends. Keyshawn Nixon limited, hopefully all right. Darnell Savage might be able to play. So I, I didn't mention that with Anthony Johnson Jr. But if, if you get Darnell Savage back, that would be huge. Like if you could get Ford and Savage to both play in this game, and maybe Jair doesn't play. That's at least, you're at least helping the middle of the field a bit. Uh, so that's great. Uh, Dontraven Wicks did not practice with a concussion and a knee. He did post like an Instagram. So I, I just wonder, maybe he hit clear protocol. But with the new concussion rules, which have been low-key sort of not reported, guys don't usually clear concussions in four days. Uh, which So don't have Wicks, that would be a big loss. Uh, Emmanuel Wilson has not practiced with his shoulder. Uh, and then Jaden Reed's been limited with a chest injury. Uh, hopefully Jaden Reed's able to play. If you're not able to have Reed, Wicks, or Musgrave, that would be absolutely brutal. Uh, you're definitely not having Musgrave. Uh, and who knows about Wicks? And we'll see see what happens. But it, it, it is next man up for the Green Bay Packers. And I do think this Lions team is vulnerable. Even though all the injuries that have been mentioned, I still think they can pass on this team. I don't know if you can run necessarily on him, but I, I do think Jordan Love can use his legs. You saw Justin Fields had over 100 yards of rushing. I think Jordan Love can use his legs as an asset. I don't want to, you know, put him at harm just given all the other injuries, right? Don't necessarily need to see Sean Clifford on Thanksgiving, but I think Love can use his legs in this game and be successful. And I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see, you know, some zone read stuff where Love could get out on the edge and just go because I, I just think that's been a, a struggle for the Lions and they, they need to take advantage of that. But yeah, this Lions defense has kind of 
fallen back and backslid to what they were early on of last season. And the Packers can take advantage of that, even with the guys missing. I, I, I think Malik Heath is a good blocking wide receiver, and I think this could be a moment for him. You know, Alan Lazard had those moments, weirdly against Detroit, where undrafted rookie just or undrafted guy, uh, he was a rookie at that time, just comes through and has a massive game for the team. You could see a Malik Heath breakout game. You could see a Tucker Craft breakout game. Like those, I think those are on the table for the Green Bay Packers. And let's be honest, like this is a moment too for Romeo Dobbs and Christian Watson. I know Chris, Romeo Dobbs has been catching touchdowns. He hasn't necessarily been doing a lot, you know, in the middle of the field. And then look, they're, I'm not trying to discount a red zone guy, but I, I do think that this is an opportunity for Romeo Dobbs to kind of have a, a pseudo breakout game. And, and same with Watson. And, you know, maybe sort of a renaissance game for and i know it's year two right i can't really be a renaissance game but i i will hope that the packers can win this game at least cover i think eight's too much too many points i i really do i think that's giving way too much respect to this lions team who's looked vulnerable the last two weeks i understand all the injuries i just think it's going to be a close game uh i i i expect this one to kind of go down to the wire and you know maybe the packers can find a way but i do not see this being a lions blowout i just think they're the intangibles of the Packers, just not wanting to get bullied by the Lions. Matt LaFleur, very good, shorthanded, and just, you know, Packers playing a little bit better the last couple of weeks. The Lions not necessarily playing as well. I think this is a great, this is actually a pretty good spot for Green Bay, and I just wish everybody was healthy. All right, last thing before we wrap up, the Milwaukee Bucks are also in action tonight against the Boston Celtics, arguably, not arguably, it is the biggest Bucks game of the year. Uh, these Bucks Celtics games are going to be massive the entire year. Uh, I, I know people were like, okay, it's, you know, the, the Sixers, Celtics, and Bucks as the Sixers have been playing better, but the Sixers just lose at home to the Cleveland Cavaliers without uh, Donovan Mitchell. So this matchup is critical. They play four times. So this, unlike last year where I felt like there was a little more importance because you only had three, it's not, I wouldn't say it's like an absolute must win. You know, you play the Celtics at home on January 11th. Then you go back to Boston on the 20th before playing them at home on the 9th. Now, by the 9th, maybe things don't matter, and that's of April. So you you have to have your matchups with the Celtics spaced out, uh, which is great. I think that's it's a good move. NBA scheduling doesn't always do the best. I think they, they've done a pretty good job here uh, with how they set up the Bucks celtics matchup. And... There is definitely things to keep an eye on uh, and things to pay attention to uh, heading into this game. Uh, you know, who guards Giannis Antetokounmpo, I think, is the biggest question. You know, Giannis was guarded by Grant Williams, Marcus Smart, and they made Giannis's life very difficult. Giannis has been under 50% from the field against Boston in five straight games. And now they don't really have as much. Giannis has taken Kristaps Porzingis to the cleaners. Uh, last year, Giannis had 55 against Porzingis. Porzingis, while a good matchup against a lot of people, he is not a good matchup against Antetokounmpo. Uh, and that hasn't really been talked about because we have a Boston media mafia in the NBA that j just doesn't recognize uh, when the Celtics you know, have deficits. So it's going to be on Horford and Porzingis to keep Giannis at bay. And Al Horford, while good against Giannis earlier on in his career, he has struggled uh, recently. So can the team defense of the Celtics keep Giannis you know, down? And Giannis is shooting 75% from the field in the last five games while averaging 35% or 35 points. And he's first guy to do that since Wilt. So he's putting up Wilt Chamberlain-like numbers. Uh, and that... 
that will make things difficult on the Celtics. And, you know, can that continue? Uh, and it's, it's going to be a great test for Giannis to see. And I, I think if he obviously has a huge game, there's going to be a lot of talk about Giannis' season. And finally, people will wake up and look at, you know, what Giannis has been doing and be like, holy shit, uh, Kubo is actually playing well. But that is the biggest question for Boston right now is who's taking Giannis? Who is going to be dealing with them? Do they double Giannis, make other guys beat them, including Dame Lillard, who question will he play he had an oblique strain he is probable so hopefully it's not a serious injury I'll be honest I would rather Dame play tonight and not play the tournament game against Washington I want to see everybody fully healthy I you know one of the most annoying things about playing Boston and Miami last year is it always seemed like guys came up with injuries when when they were playing the box like they didn't want to show Milwaukee anything like I want to see everybody full roster you know a great look even if it doesn't go the Bucks way I think that's okay you can learn from that so I hope Dame plays in this game it would be just brutal, you know, A, for the NBA, but B, for Bucks fans, if Dame can't go uh, with an oblique injury, which happened at the end of that Washington game. He is probable, but it's definitely worth calling out, and it, it completely changes the game because then it's it's relying on Giannis, and it's Giannis and Chris, which we've seen in the past, but it'll be a lot more campaign uh, and a lot more Malik Beasley, and that's <laughs> that's just not the same as as Damian Lillard uh, out there and the Dame versus Drew matchup, obviously. And we'll we'll just see. I I also be curious. This wasn't on my list, but since we're talking about Drew, I'll be curious to see if Drew tries too hard. Uh, Drew's not necessarily had a good stretch of games, and this you know it happens, right? We've seen this with Holiday in the past as as Bucks fans. But I I if Drew. I wonder if Drew will try too hard to make himself a part of this game. And, you know, not defer to Tatum and Brown as much as he should. Uh, I could certainly see a quote-unquote weird holiday game, uh, which would be like a Bill Simmons kind of like weird holiday game. I could certainly see that on the table. Uh, Marjan and Ajax's opportunity on Jason Tatum. Uh, I, I, I hope that both Bochamp and Andre Jackson Jr. get significant minutes in this game to guard Jason Tatum. I think they can make Jason Tatum's life pretty difficult. Uh, use up your five fouls, beat beat the living hell out of Jason Tatum, I think can really, you know, be effective for Marquette, or uh, <laughs> the Bucs. I'm, I'm still thinking about the Golden Eagles. Uh, but no, I, I think this is a great opportunity for both those guys to really show off their defensive acumen. And I, I think they're up for the task. And it's a great challenge to learn. Even if it doesn't go their way, uh, it's still something to learn going forward. Uh, and I imagine you're going to see those guys more often than not. I'll also be curious to see if Giannis takes on Tatum. Uh, Giannis has not really faced Tatum uh, in terms of a defense. He wants to guard the best. He said that before. We'll see if Antetokounmpo goes up on Tatum right away, uh, which would be great. And that would be something that we haven't seen in this Bucks celtics rivalry in the past. And so can Tatum, you know, deal with the pressure of Antetokounmpo on defense as well as the rookies, you know, when it's the second unit? Because Marjan Ajax's defense is something that I think nationally was not talked about before the year, hasn't really been talked about during the year, uh, but I hope they get their opportunity. I know Jackson Jr. did not play on Monday. I It would be a mistake not to have him out there uh, against Boston. What will Griffin's system look like against Jalen Brown? Jalen Brown is not a great ball handler. Uh, he's one of the worst for being one of the better players in the NBA. And the pressure system that Griffin, you know, adopted and has parts of with the drop, I think could really be successful against Jalen Brown. I think they can make Jalen Brown's life miserable. And I kind of expect the Bucs to do that. Uh, you know, just talked about Bochamp and Jackson. 
they they can get some cheap steals on Jalen Brown. And one of the frustrations with Mike Boonholzer's defense against the Celtics was that they would never pressure Jalen Brown. I think that changes in this game. And so I, I expect them to make Jalen Brown's life pretty difficult. Will the Bucks' soft schedule get exposed? This is the one thing I do worry about. Like the line right now is five and a half to Boston, which I think is ridiculous personally. Uh, but the, the case for it is the fact that the Bucs have had the seventh easiest schedule so far this year. Boston tied for fourth in the NBA. So I just wonder, you know, will that soft schedule kind of catch up with the Bucs? You know, are we overvaluing what the Bucs are doing? I don't mean to sound like an archon here and be like, oh, the Bucs actually aren't playing that well. Like, no, they're beating the opponents that they should and they're beating them pretty handily. Like Dallas, when you can't ignore, like even though Dallas defensively is not a good team, like they're still a very solid offensive team. And that was such a gutty win that I, I, I look at that and I think it, it matters. So I, ultimately, you know, do the Bucs, is it a must win for them? No. Do I want them to win? Absolutely, because it's beating Boston. Uh, do I think they can win? Yeah, I, I do. I, I think to establish it and to win in Boston early on sets the tone for the season. As mentioned, you know, they don't play again until January. And it'd be great to get one of the wins under the belt because if you would then win that next one, then it's house money the rest of the way against Boston. You at least have a tiebreaker. You're at least going to be tied. And, and then you have a chance to win the series uh, from the Celtics. So we'll see if the Bucks can make it happen. We will be back tomorrow. It will likely be a short show. It won't be, you know, our full length, 45, 50 minute show. Maybe, who knows? <laughs> I went like 26 minutes on Marquette. So who knows? Maybe it will be. Uh, but we'll just recap uh, Marquette as well as the Bucks uh, with what a great Wednesday night. Enjoy it, guys. Have a lot of fun. Enjoy it. Have some beers for me. Well, not for me. I'll be drinking too. But it, it, we'll, let's all have beers together uh, and let's enjoy this beautiful night of basketball. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Take care. Bye.